their hobbies, and get an inside look on the life of a physician. I'm one of your hosts, Kaylee, and I am joined, as usual, by Sam. Hey. And Dr. Russell Horan. Hey, Russell. Hello. Today, we met with Dr. Vakeen Patel, who is a hospitalist and a clinical informatics fellow. We talked about the future of technology in medicine, click fatigue and documentation, and how Dr. Patel can fix just about anything. I loved this episode because we got to talk a lot about the other side of medicine that I feel like is pretty unseen. What did you guys think? It's a really good conversation. I don't think this is something even people who spend their whole life in medicine know much about. Mm -hmm. And he's uh, a really awesome guy who's good at breaking it down to where even I can understand it, which is greatly appreciated. Yeah, I didn't know if I was going to resonate with this topic very much. I'm not an IT person at all, as you'll find out as we discuss later in the episode. (laughs) But he is such a likable guy, makes everything so uh, fascinating and brings it down to an understandable level. Mm -hmm. Wicked Smart Guy has a lot of knowledge on the future of technology and how technology and medicine kind of go hand in hand, even though we don't talk about it a lot. Yeah. Cool. Cool, cool. Um, In other news, I got to spend the entire day in Russell's office, uh, and I got to watch him be a pediatrician. It's funny, not a lot of people know this, but I have never met Sam in person, and I've only seen Russell in person twice. Yeah, and this was the second time. I know. (laughs) So yeah, I... Did you like it? Did you have fun? I had, first of all, the best day ever, pretty much. (laughs) It was so fun. We were laughing because I hadn't seen a baby, like a human baby in probably a year. And I was like, I forgot how small babies are. You can tell because you said a human baby. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't seen a baby in so long. They're so small and cute. They're so tiny. They look like they just snap in half, but they're actually really, really tough. You can bounce them off the floor. No, not really. You can't do it, but, but they're really tough. I think it's, it's cool. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. It's fun to have someone like, uh, kind of follow along who, who doesn't automatically know everything that we're thinking. Cause it makes you say it out loud. And then, um, uh, for me, it's like, oh yeah, that's why we do that. And that's cause it, the, the nice thing about being in medicine is that it becomes second nature. You don't really have to think about certain things as much, mm. you, know, you just sort of know, and it's yeah. instinctual. And it was cool to have you there to like bounce stuff off of like, this is why we do that. Or this is why I do that. Hopefully I didn't embarrass you. Oh no. I had a ton of questions. Um, and you, you're really fast. That's why in the episode, we talk a little bit about documentation, um, in Cerner with Dr. Patel. And I asked Russell, how long after he leaves for the day, like how long do you spend charting when you go home? Cause I left at five, but then you stayed and charted. Yeah. I leave at five pretty much if I can, or like as soon as I'm done with patients, I've put all the orders in that need to be done. Everything that's like has to be done right then. And then I get out of there and try to be home. Um, Other docs would rather finish and then go home and home is like their safe space. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our routine is that if I do have charts left to do, I get home, we do dinner, stuff with the kids, go swimming or whatever. And then once they're down and we've kind of finished the day, then I chart. So it makes for some late nights sometimes, but um, it, 
I okay. think it's been good for us to get like for me to just be home right when the when the whistle blows. I see. So then how many hours? What's average? Sure, some nights are different than others, but sometimes it can be like half an hour. Sometimes it's a couple hours. I mean, it oh, okay. depends on messages because writing your note for a visit is one thing, but then there's orders, there's messages, there's following up on consult notes. There's, you know, everything from prior authorizations for medications and, you know, stuff that people need forms they need filled out. So there's a lot more than just like the actual note that goes on. And that stuff comes in regardless of how many patients you saw that day. So I see. Um, it's usually not too bad. I, I feel like I've gotten pretty fast at using the computer. So it's, it's, eh. It's all right. So when you say messages, you're talking about banner portal messages from your patients about anything under the sun. Some of them are. A lot of them are just from like our, our MAs will send us stuff. You know, this patient call that needs this or this, you know, specialist office needs that. Or, you know, if uh, DDD, the Department of Developmental Disability, helps a lot of our patients out who have special needs. And so they'll send us requests for new orders and things because they can't just do stuff without a a covering doctor. So yeah, it, it's, it's a lot that goes into it, which is why it's good that people like Dr. Patel are there <laughs> to help make it faster. Cause it, you can, it can bury you. And a lot of people it does. Mm. What were you going to say, Sam? Sorry. I said, I'm really jealous that you guys got to hang out. I also have never met Dr. Or Russell in person. Um, but I have to know we have a group chat going after. And so after Kaylee spent the day with Russell, she was so excited talking about it. And you said, adolescents are complicated. What did you mean by that? I've been dying to know. <laughs> oh no, I just, there was this tweet. We have to look at it. It was really um, funny. Yeah. Well, I, they're, they're wonderful. And all of my patients are wonderful. That's what I'll say. <laughs> Yes, no, it you says, know, it's hard to be a teenager and it's hard to be a teenager now. And like, I'm yeah. on the younger spectrum of, of physicians. I feel like, at least I'd like to think that's the way it is. And still like my experience being a teenager is not helpful hardly at all because mm -hmm. when I went to high school, I did not have, there was no social media. Facebook hasn't even been invented yet at that point. If you had a cell phone, it's like super expensive to use and you can't really use it very much. And most people didn't even have one. And now it's like, I don't, what do you do? What do you, I don't yeah. know. Now it's at your disposal at all times. And I feel like when, even when I was growing up, when you went home from school, you were home from school and you were away from school and all mm -hmm. the people there, but everything now truly does follow you home. I feel like, don't you think? So now when you get home from school, it's on your Instagram or it's on your Facebook and it's all the kids that you didn't necessarily want to talk to after the bell rang. Yeah. Or you have the whole, like what we talked about with Didi, like I'm missing out on everything. Everybody else has a cooler mm. life than me. Cause yeah. And all Instagram, we talked about that too, Russell. It's like all Instagram or Facebook or anything really is, is a highlight reel. You're never going to post mm -hmm. your bad day on Instagram. You're never going to post your yeah. bad day on your Facebook you, for everyone to see. I think, unfortunately, if you do post something bad that happened, a lot of people are doing it to like, they're looking for a response, right? Mm -hmm. and, and maybe that's good if it's like a lot of helpful friends try to lift them up. But unfortunately, I don't think that is what happens a lot of time on social media. I think it's the opposite of that. But yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's really harder now. It's hard being a parent too. Like just wait, <laughs> Sam, till you are a parent. <laughs> and every other parent, you know, has like some crazy Instagram feed that's like, look at my baby that can play Mozart on the piano. And 
Oh, no big deal. We just spent the whole day doing puzzles. My toddler loves puzzles. We never have screen time. We're amazing. It's like, shut up. You're not that great. <laughs> and My then you see them out to dinner too. and their kids on their iPad. Yeah. <laughs> For the whole time. Yeah. yeah they Sam, also do other stuff. Yeah. Another thing you'll be surprised about, I think, is you have to take your baby to the doctor. What is it, Russell? Two months, four months, six months, eight months? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, well, you have a newborn visit a few days after you leave the hospital and then a two week check and then a one month check and then a two month, four, six, nine, 12, 15, 18. And then at two years, you start doing, uh, start doing yearly checkups, usually at two. Wow. Are you surprised by that, Sam? I'm so surprised by that. That is so I was like, how do you have time for anything else? How do you eat dinner? You have to take your baby to the doctor. No, and it's going to be hard for you, Sam, because you're going to have to fly into Queen Creek to see me like that often with your baby. (laughs) (laughs) You better get a Southwest card and get some. Yeah, I'd get some points or something. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, uh, maybe we'll have Dr. Patel's AI that will help us out in some way with that. Mm -hmm. If they don't take over the world first <laughs> yeah very cool um I think another thing just inspirational story I'm going to talk you up a little bit Russell there were um a set of parents you could tell they were new parents and they were nervous about their baby having to get three shots in one day it was three mm-hmm. shots in like an oral med mm-hmm. and they were very very nervous they were like we're not sure if we want to go through with this and it feels like a lot for one day and they just had a lot to say you could tell they were very nervous about the whole situation and um, Russell sat down with them was saying, I would never tell you to do anything that I wouldn't do for my own kids. And this really is the right thing to do. And here's immunologically why we do it. And it's not going to be anything that's as scary as you think it will be. And call me if you need anything like totally approachable, friendly, kind. I just was blown away. Yes, that's true. All of that is true. And I'll <laughs> give you, I'll give you your 20 bucks later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no yeah vaccines are oh, well we don't have time to get into that's another episode we can talk yes. about vaccines and vaccine hesitancy but uh talk to your doctor people if you're not sure about it talk to them because you should feel pretty sure if there's one thing in medicine to feel sure about it's vaccines so mm-hmm. well cool and speaking of talk to a doctor let's go talk to dr patel yeah enjoy Hello, hello, hello. Hey, how are you? All right. It's coming in bright and shiny, I hope. (laughs) Yes, we can can see see you. you. And you sound great, too. Excellent. I know I had to go to my backup headset. So if it looks a little (laughs) blue, I apologize. Your backup headset is like our prime number one headset. So (laughs) (laughs) this is my prime number one headset. Let me tell you. Oh, actually, that does look nicer. That does. For the audience that's listening, like uh, you're missing out, but you can't. Oh, do it. I hate when that happens. Let me tell you, I hate when I that happens. <laughs> All right. Dr. Just... Go ahead. Sorry. We're just going to jump right in in true talk to a doc fashion. We don't really have much of an intro. We just kind of dive in. <laughs> okay. I'm excited. How was your day today? Did you work? Uh, so it's kind of an interesting thing because my work is more traditionally or can be more traditionally remote so the informatics position is kind of an open field but it 
it liaisons with IT as well as our clinical folks to try to meld together two arenas of, you know, healthcare that are just, they don't speak well to each other. Mm-hmm. And so it's more asynchronous, something goes wrong, they call me, or something goes haywire, we've got something planned. And so you can kind of build a better life schedule around it. In fact, uh, I just flew in this morning from um, Florida because my family is in Florida right now um, visiting my parents. And so Mm. I took them, dropped them off, and then flew back here today while working in the morning. So on the flight, sending emails, chatting on (laughs) Microsoft Teams and getting things done at the same time as um, traveling. The the true renaissance man. 21st century yeah that is so cool because especially like working with a bunch of physicians and advanced practice providers I hear a lot about like the sacrifices they make to work-life balance was that one of the reasons that you went to the more IT side as a physician actually no I mean I like the idea of this so it's a consequence you know it's just a nice benefit but I think really what pushed me towards it is the experience that they're talking about, the burnout, and just talking about efficiencies within the workflow. You know, we sacrifice so many of our hours of the day, and if you tally it up, and and I could even show you the statistics, um, we actually monitor all of it, um, how much is spent documenting, how much is spent throughout the evening, we call it uh, after hours care, you know, and that's time you're not seeing patients traditionally in the ambulatory setting. And so those are times that, you know, really burn my bucket because that's time that is away from the family. And so mm-hmm. I really have a passion to try and improve upon that and try to make the experience easier and more fulfilling for the providers, APPs, pro- physicians, anyone. That's even, awesome. Even that nurses. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, we, we definitely do want to hear all about that, but let's back it up a little bit. What made you want to become a physician um, from the start? Sure. Well, you know, this, this can get a little bit personal, but I don't mind sharing this with everyone. When I was 19 years old and in college, my first year excited, I wanted to do something in the STEM field. Um, I didn't exactly know what, but I was very attracted to microbiology and, um, you know, laboratory sciences. And so spending some time in the laboratory setting, you know, we do like our bio labs or you sit down and you look at a little Petri dish and make cultures and stuff. And at that point, I got this like sudden pain in my side and then in my lower region, and I just couldn't shake it. And it was almost like 24 hours of just constant pain. And I had to go see a doctor and I had to go through the entire works from the patient side. And I was diagnosed with embryonal rhabdomyosarcoma, which is a, a, a skeletal tissue cancer. Um, went through radiate, not sorry, I went through surgery, chemotherapy. Um, But that really is what inspired me to become a physician. I talked to a lot of different people within the healthcare field from, you know, physicians, hematologists, oncologists, all the way to EVS. And I've kind of bonded with everybody in the healthcare team. And then add on top of that, my experience with the patients, especially pediatric oncology patients, they were the most strongest patients I've ever met in my entire life. They took everything on their, on their backs. They put a smile on their face and they brave through chemotherapy that makes you nauseous and throws up and couldn't eat. And Oh my gosh. Um, I remember especially one, uh, one pediatric oncology patient of mine, not even patient. I apologize. He was with me getting treatment and him and I were probably the closest in age because I was 19 and he was 15. A lot of the patients are closer, younger in ages. And so there's such a, a, a variety 
of you know personalities but him and i really bonded together his name was johnny he had advanced lung cancer and was just battling through it and him and i were going to the end and you know we were talking to each other this was before cell phones we were text messaging at five cents a minute five cents a message but it didn't matter (laughs) you know we were trying to support each other we were trying to get through it and i remember a time when you know he was really down and out and i was trying to you know going through my own thing myself with just battling nausea and couldn't keep anything down and we're just right you know talking to each other and trying to support each other and you know he got through his his bout and I got through my bout and I got through to the end of chemo and unfortunately he didn't make it and so ever since then ever since his experience I've taken it to heart to really spend extra time with my patients to really get to know their stories to really champion their causes and that really pushed me to become an even better physician than I um, thought I could be. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. So what field did you end up going into? Well, initially I wanted to do oncology, but I realized that uh, it was so different from internal medicine where you start out from right. um, taking care of patients. So I, I really fell in love with the acute care hospitalist medicine. Um, and I also grew up a little bit in the, onco- in the uh, ambulatory space. I had a very good mentor. He was in family medicine, unfortunately passed from COVID, but I helped him study for his board exam at 77 years old. He, oh, he nice. took his wow. 70, board exam at 77 years old and passed on his first attempt. So I was oh. over the moon for him, but I'm, wow. yeah, he, he, he helped me choose a path in, in kind of looking at general medicine. And then right now I'm focusing on acute care patients, but I eventually see myself in that um, ambulatory space, having longitudinal care of a patient too. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And just, uh, as a heads up, we have a lot of non-medical listeners. Oh, sorry. So no, no, you're good. Uh, but so basically what you're talking about is integrating everything from the hospital all the way down through your outpatient primary care physician and kind of making that work more seamlessly. Is that right? Correct. I think they're back in the day. I, I'm also big on looking at the history of medicine. You know, we talk about the docs before that would carry the bag and go see your patients in the, in their homes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I like, I love that kind of a model and that's that longitudinal, I know my community model, but it didn't seem something I could accomplish in the beginning, given of how different our care is. But I really see that as being where I go forward as being the doc in the house kind of a model um, yeah. from my clinical side. But at the same time, the informatics side is really pulling me through too. But yeah. That's really cool. That's something that, you know, my grandparents and even my parents still, whenever they talk about healthcare, like they mourn the loss. It seems like a loss of the physician that birthed them and then like signed their death certificate, like yeah. all the way through mm-hmm. and saw them for everything. And even though like I can see from the inside of why it makes sense to have specialists and why one doctor shouldn't solve everything. I think it is from a patient's perspective. They like, they miss that model or they like that model. Yes. I, I hear where you're coming from. My grandfather was the same way. He had a clinic in his house on the first floor and he'd <laughs> see patients there. And if you were too sick to go, uh, come to the clinic, he'd go to you. So I love that model. Oh, and I'm yeah. st- still tracking down his little doctor bag. Yeah. I was hoping to donate it to the University of Arizona and they have this great collection there. Oh, uh, nice. That is so awesome. cool. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's coming back a little bit too, that 
uh, concierge medicine is a version of that, or, um, you know, even there are services where they will, they will send a doc out to your house or an APP, a nurse practitioner or somebody and, mm-hmm. and do it. You know, I think people are kind of looking at the way the world works now and you can get anything delivered to your house in an instant, basically, except for your healthcare. And, uh, I think healthcare is probably next. <laughs> at least that's the way it feels. Mm-hmm. No, I definitely agree. And in telemedicine, particularly after this pandemic, this is me knocking on wood, um, <laughs> has really exploded to feel that feel that niche of of needed services. But yeah. there there is a component of hands on care that you know has to be emphasized. And I know that um, you know not to plug us a little bit, but I know that the residents at BUMCP at the residents at BUMCP have an opportunity to. Um, visit the home of their patient panel, especially those who are less ambulatory or less mobile. Right. So they're able to go and take care of those patients in their panel at home. And they get this opportunity in a lovely rotation called the business of medicine, um, mm. where they get to go and be in the home. They get to practice telehealth care. They get to practice rural health care. It's an amazing opportunity and something that was custom built on the recommendations of other residents. So like, even even at the beginning level, we're we're innovating and we're changing the wheels and turning right. things. Yeah, you don't get much of that in residency. I mean, at least not. I feel like when I went through residency, there was you're just so busy trying to keep up that you're not really gonna take half a day to go visit two patients, you know, <laughs> in their home and drive around the city and or drive out to the the rural areas. So you mentioned um, informatics is kind of your other half of your career now but can you give us like the elevator pitch on what informatics is because I don't feel like I have a great grasp on it so I'm sure there's a lot of other people too uh, out there of course of course and and really I feel like elevator pitches may not do it justice because there's so many aspects of it but (laughs) yeah sure I I always think of us as the champion and liaison between IT and clinical side we are as a physician as a provider so we talk with, we talk the tech and we talk clinical and we marry the two together. So wherever where there is an issue with IT being too burdensome, we play a part. And then on the flip side, if there's something bothering the clinic, clinician in the workflow, something that they're doing a day-to-day that they just think is inefficient, we, interfe- we interface with them too. So kind of that middleman, but not a middleman because we still practice, but kind of that endpoint. Yeah. And um, hopefully that was a good description that's perfect this is this is my floor i have to get off but um yeah no that was perfect good i think it makes sense too and going back even to from a patient's perspective where they saw like the model of the one doctor who saw them for their whole life for every single ailment i think as medicine changed uh it change and that was something the patient probably didn't even realize i mean they realized maybe that they got a patient portal and now they could see their records on their cell phone but I don't know that patients even realize, like, I remember check, I'm not even that old. And I remember checking in to go to the doctor and behind the person registering you was tons of file folders. Yeah. And it's like, that's where all your records were in paper, which is so crazy. And now it's all on this electronic medical record and patients probably don't understand like what a change that was for their own physician to get used to, too. Exactly. Exactly. To have everything at your fingertips, but still not at your fingertips. You know, like everything is digitalized and it's all in this background uh, medical record, but where in the medical record it is can be a challenge that every the physician has to find. You know, where is that little 
uh, colonoscopy report from 12 years ago that could play a fundamental factor um, in the care going forward is, is huge. And, and that's where informatics really helps because we're bridging the divide between the two. We're trying to bring together records, not just from Banner, but from Dignity, from Colorado, from everywhere, so that they all speak to each other and then the patient's care is coordinated. And I call it longitudinal, but in sequence, right? From, from when they started, just like you talked about, to when they are getting close to the end. And so this way, when the new guy comes on or somebody in the acute care who hasn't seen you in, in forever, you know, I can quickly look at a snapshot and understand you know, how your care has evolved over time and where it's gonna be going, whether it be with me or with your primary provider. So I can definitely see that. And then I also think, and hopefully not getting too far into the weeds on this one, there's a component of security that's involved, right? Because this is yeah. patient, your records are very, they need to be very secure. So a patient's information has to remain secure. And when we empower the patient to have their records, we should also empower them to just make them secure as possible so that evil entity, evil people don't really can get a hold of it. And I think, you know, as the U.S. as a whole pushes forward, we're going to set the standard for international um, organizations to build upon this, what we have as, as a security. I don't know if you've ever heard of the, um, the uh, well, actually, you probably have uh, the, the bit chain from like yeah, Bitcoin yeah, like and things. Bitcoin and mm -hmm. the blockchain. The blockchain, yeah. yes. Well, there's a similar concept here in healthcare as well, where you're using that security to maintain health records and it's built on an organization. And it's something mm -hmm. that we're looking at too as an organization. Wow. Yeah, I feel like um, it's become very complex. And, and I often want to talk when people start complaining, because just to pull the curtain back on doctors here, we like to complain a lot about everything. And so like if you change the medical record or a computer or the program and the button I click isn't in the same place anymore, it's like, it's like you just ripped their leg off. But, um, you know, I think a lot of it is also that people want customization. Um, you know, they want access to things. I think maybe the nostalgic, uh, I, I miss my paper records that someone might say to you, is probably because they could put all the file folders in where they wanted them. There's a there's a tab for colonoscopy. There's a tab for specialist notes, right? But I can't write code. I can't like go in there and customize my medical record. And I think on the flip side, patients have to deal with that too, right? Like a portal might be nice, but if the portal's unorganized and it's hard to navigate or is telling me stuff that I don't care about, I just want to know my imaging results because I have like a chronic disease of some kind, mm -hmm. then, um, you know, how do you do that? So I, I imagine that's hard for you on the informatics side is that everyone wants it a certain way, right? But you can only customize these gigantic health record systems so much. Exactly. You know, it, I, I totally hear where you're coming from. There is, it, it can impact your workflow, it can impact your day to day. But I think there's also a benefit to the standardization too. You know, I think, we can use that as an opportunity to elevate care as more information comes forward. You know, how much does medical literature change on a weekly, monthly basis? Like things get updated so frequently and it's great because it's evidence-based. It's the, the best kind of evidence, it's the best kind of information we can use. And so I, I champion that, but it does require a little bit of a, a standardization, you know, like, oh, we're pushing a little bit forward. 
And so it comes down to having that discussion with our providers and, you know, myself being on the front line, I, I try to do this on a daily basis and work through the challenges and see what I can do to, I guess, you know, have some customizations, but at the same time, bring in that kind of standardization too. So I don't see it as so much of a yin and yang, but more of a, like a happy medium somewhere in the middle. So walk us through, I love the mix of clinical work that you do and informatics. So walk us through kind of your weekly um, schedule and how often are you spending, like you were saying, like your day today versus in the hospital? Oh, perfect. Well, it's a benefit of our clinical world that I can, in the hospital, we do very much shift work. So you're 12 to 12, you have 12 hours a day. Um, and then intersperse that with my informatics work sometimes. So there are days, there are weeks when I can go without any clinical time, um, taking care of more of the informatics work. And that involves research and operations, building upon, you know, our organization. But when it's clinical time, it's pretty dedicated to clinical time. So, you know, Monday through Friday, including the weekends, I'll see patients, as many that come in are during my shift and take care of them as properly as I can. And then, you know, in the middle, if I have a meeting to jump onto, I'll squeeze some time in, chime in when I can, and then chime out as soon as, you know, patient care comes up. But for me, it's always patient care first. The informatics role is great and it's fantastic, but, you know, taking care of a patient is paramount. And especially in the acute care where minutes matter, I, I don't want to take a meeting and have to, have to, you know, prioritize that over a patient. I will never do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure things that you see in the hospital setting help you with the informatics side and vice versa, right? I'm sure you're kind of the go-to guy on the unit. If there's anything that comes up, I'm sure you know how to fix it too. I try not to be, I know I try to lend that over to the help desk because I'm not always available, but yeah, when, when it's something like that happens and you need a, um, an example is I had a, a provider uh, who is a little bit tardy on their discharge summaries and it wasn't, you know, a, a completely anyone's fault. It's just get caught up in patient care and some things just get left over. So I quickly built a report for this gentleman and he was able to find all the missing discharge summary reports and complete them in a timely manner when he was still on service and getting things done. So even something as simple as that had made his day a lot better because now he wasn't spending his weekend writing these some discharge summaries. And it was some, it took me five seconds. I was like, oh, here you go. Do, 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 do. And we got it ready for him. So Amazing. I'm, it, it's, I'm sure it's it, not, it's not like a fantastic, but I, I think it made his day and made his weekend for sure. And that's really, oh my gosh. Yeah. That's made things so much easier for him in that time. He probably appreciated you times hundred. Oh yeah. And then, you know, he, he could use it going forward. So I'm sure he's already probably passed it along to the other people in the department to help them track it in case somebody else has an issue too. Absolutely. It's the little things for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned at the beginning of the episode that you can track how long our providers are charting after they're done. What did you call it? Like after hours care. Mm -hmm. um, can you share with us a little bit? I just recently got the opportunity to shadow Dr. Horton in his clinic. And I was wondering how long, you know, after I go home, how long is he sitting on his computer finishing charts? Mm -hmm. So can you give us a little bit of insight? And then I'll ask Russell for the, for what he's <laughs> but can you give us a little bit of insight into that? That's interesting. 
Sure. Yeah. So, you know, we use Cerner as our EMR of choice here at Painter and um, within it is built a uh, program module called Lights On. It's accessible for any provider that wants to look at their, at their numbers and see how much time they spend charting and in which section they're charting. Um, the opportunity is that when you provide that kind of insight to our end user or providers, APPs, whomever, that they can see where they're spending a lot of time and make adjustments to their workflow, adjustments to their day-to-day um, and kind of make their lives a little bit easier. Um, I don't necessarily know off the top of my head, but I can always just look it up for you if you'd like um, how much time is being spent. But every, every little click that we do in the EMR in every section has a timer associated to it. So every time you move your mouse cursor, it knows how much you're moving. I don't know oh. if you, if, um, oh, I see. yeah, kind of like how our, you know, in the remote setting, I don't know if you've seen the reports that, uh, I guess companies are tracking, uh, their employees and if they're actually on the computer or not by using how many times you can like move your mouse, everything oh, wow. is, everything is trackable. And so if you're, you know, typing away in your documentation after your clinic hours are over, we, we kind of know that. And then it's not so much that, you know, your single day, look at today, oh my God, how much time they spent, but it's like, how is the trend going? What can we, yeah. how, what kind of insight can we get from it? Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. What? Do you, want to, do you want me to look it up? If it's fast. Yeah. That'd be <laughs> yeah. super interesting. Sure. <laughs> I think um, while you're pulling that up, is there anything that was really surprising to you that you remember just off the top of your head when you're looking at these reports? You know, I'm, I'm actually quite surprised about people that I know that are very efficient are actually very efficient. Like nice. <laughs> when, when, you know, you have your champions, the people that, you know, like, oh my God, they're in the clinic and the time they're there and the time they're out, like on time, they pretty much line up. Like it's not, yeah. it's not a surprise yeah. for me, but I um, can imagine that's what Russell is. You seem pretty fast, Russell. You're efficient. Uh, yeah, you know, what's funny about it is that I, I was going to say it's probably surprising that we aren't as efficient as we think, but, uh, you know, I, I do think a lot of it comes down to, um, instead of fighting your medical record is working with it because as cumbersome as they may be, and they're not perfect and Cerner, um, I actually like, but you know, no EMR is perfect. Um, you're going to end up, if you fight it, if you're like, well, I don't like how I have to do it this different way it's just going to take you longer. But when you learn how to do it, and that's what the informatics team, the IT teams, and all this has been great for is there's oftentimes like huge amounts of shortcuts that are built in to, to take that off your plate. I do have to chart after hours quite a bit. Um, I'm really hoping this tracking technology doesn't monitor like if you're on Netflix at the same time or oh, no. just like... <laughs> I'm asking for a friend who's just an innocent pediatrician and I don't think should be accused of anything, but if they're, you know, trying to do that and chart, but yeah, I, I think that um, it's fascinating because every click, and this is what we as providers, I think, and you probably yourself, and you probably hear this a lot on your informatics side is every click matters. And sometimes it seems silly to be like, could you change this? Cause it's three extra clicks, but you start adding that stuff up and this goes for anyone who has a computer job. Like if you do anything on the computer, if you're having to click five times more for everything times your whole day, that's, that's a lot of wasted time. That's a lot of like just negative energy building up inside you. That's a lot of burnout. And so um, looking at that is, is really fascinating because it's, it's um, 
it's like the little death by a thousand cuts, you know, and mm-hmm. that's where they get you. Oh, definitely. And I guess Cerner is having a little bit of a, a rough time today. Oh, no. Still, still logging in. So I'm not, uh, not as oh, fast as I thought. That's all right. Cerner, don't you know oh, no. we're live? We're on the air. <laughs> it's always what happens. You know, you have your live demo. That's so. it. Call, call IT. Let's do it here. Live on the podcast. Oh, but, but Dr. Uh, Patel, are you like techie in other parts of your life? Like, do you have a, a crazy electronic gaming system or like a really cool TV setup or something? Oh, I did. Um, I had to break it all down because I have to move out of my apartment. But yes, I build computers on the side. I've been doing it since I was 14 oh, nice. years old. Um, well, except for recently, given the fact that everything is super expensive to build and very, you can't find any supplies anywhere. But prior to that, yeah, I was building computers and setups. It was really nice battle. We call them battle stations now, but uh, it was just little customized computers with lights and stuff. So it was fun. Um, it's like, uh, I think of it as customized cars. You know, you have some people who love building cars, some people who love building, I don't know, gyms and wood stuff. I just build computers. Wow, that's so cool. Why is it expensive now? Like supply chain issues with COVID? Yep. So there's a shortage of silicon, silicon mm-hmm. chips. And so um, this has to do with Taiwan and the fact that they're in this huge drought and they lost a lot of infrastructure. And so because of this, there's a shortage in chips manufacturing. It's pretty much all made there. And, um, and now we're diversifying. In fact, uh, Phoenix has grown, has gotten a big contract with a, a silicon maker that they're building here in Chandler, I think Chandler, but they're, build, they're coming here with a huge, huge money and huge infrastructure build projects. So it's going to be a, a brand new wow. arena because Intel's already here building yeah. chips. So they're just building upon that kind of expertise in the Phoenix market. Could the problem be that uh, we're putting silicone microchips in our toasters and in our like doorknobs and they're just in everything in your house now? Definitely. Wait, Definitely. why? Why are they in our doorknobs and toasters? <laughs> well, not literally, Sam. I mean, oh. well, well, I, I could show you my doorknob right now. It yeah. actually connects to my, true. Co- my true. phone and unlocks the door. So does mine. Right? right? Sam lives uh, in a different era. Little house <laughs> on the prairie out here, Dr. Yes. Patel. Like we yes. barely got a smart TV like six months ago. And oh, you don't want to know what I set up before that. <laughs> Sam, do you have to like turn your doorknobs to open your door? Yeah, it's weird, right? Oh, weird. That's so yeah, weird. <laughs> You don't have an app? Key. <laughs> I'm sitting here like, wait, she, she, what happens when the batteries run out? Yeah, yeah. you guys can actually see the look that Dr. Patel gave me when I said I just got a smart TV. Like, oh, <laughs> he was disgusted. So <laughs> he was disgusted by you. I, I mean, oh. surely your cows have smart chips inside them, right? So they don't, great. but they do make something that's kind of crazy. So when cows are calving, they make something that you can put on their tail. And then like before they start uh, calving, they'll like raise their tail for a while or swish it around and it'll like get, talk to your phone and tell you they're about to calve. I mean, I don't know anyone who would ever spend money on doing that and like good luck keeping them on the tail. But yeah, I <laughs> tell you probably would if you were a rancher for sure. <laughs> he just raised his hand. Okay. <laughs> I can't imagine. Imagine if the, the calf gets birth at night or is about to get birth at night and something happens, right? You know, like complications, like we have complications. I'd want to be there to help support the calf to come out. 
my gosh, right? such an interesting yeah. perspective, right? Because you watch your patients on monitors. So mm -hmm. that's probably where your head's going. Yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. It's, my, it's my cow monitor. <laughs> there you go. I feel like that would be like the technology that the evil rancher in the movie buys. And then like the little small Hickert ranch is just like doing it the old fashioned way. And staying up all night. Sleeping with the cows under the stars. Yeah. Right. We have officially uh, gone down a rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> what were we talking about before that? Oh. We were talking about Dr. Patel building computers. Yeah. <laughs> I wish so I what had... other mm -hmm. outside of building computers what else outside of medicine brings you joy oh the suns right now are <laughs> on like, fire oh my gosh they are the best i i have never been a big basketball fan I'm, i've been a big hockey fan i'm mm. from tampa originally so i the lightning i've been doing fantastic too um and so <laughs> it's just been great to be able to see both of the teams playing not playing together and against each other but play having playoff games and following the yeah. series here so it really helps especially after a long day and i know it's not you know after a long clinical day you can turn on the tv and watch the suns against the you know the lakers and just you know killing them but that, that's just my <laughs> opinion but uh, having a good time with that and watching you know the the sports teams are really really good here especially here in phoenix because we have a whole of them so that's true yeah that. they're not always good but we do have all of them yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um but yeah i also and then this is going to sound very weird but i really enjoy home improvements like household improvement hmm. um, nice. i do a lot of plumbing things with my friends i uh build not really build it but i fix toilets build bidets fix showers like if someone tells me something plumbing related is broken i'll go and try to fix it for them or I don't know, now I have this new RO system that I built here in the apartment that I have to take down, but, you know, knock it out, put the water in, flick this, put this together. I had a really fun time with that. It's kind of you a, are a wild jack of all trades. Like you are so much stuff. Do you do really love like learning? How do you learn all this stuff? <laughs> Honestly, I don't know. It just seems, I feel sometimes with the uh, clinical side that I just need an escape something yeah. to like totally break my mind away from some difficulty with patient care. And so plumbing just seemed to be that natural avenue for me. Yeah. Yeah. You're a fixer. You fix it all. Humans, yep. plumbing, computers. Yeah. Whatever's <laughs> broken. Yeah. I, I divert my time by making cocktails. So maybe I should find something more, more um, like helpful to mankind than that. Well, it is more, it is, it is a little bit, nicer surroundings for building yeah. cocktails in the kitchen as opposed to underneath the yeah. floorboards getting to a it's like baking spot. it's like baking but you have to be way more responsible yes which yes. is also fun i also like baking but yeah oh that's perfect <laughs> that's great that's incredible like i i feel like medicine and i'm finally getting better at it medicine sort of like pushed me away from finding other things to do in my life so it's really cool that you've like used it as motivation to do other things and to mm -hmm. be a, a kind of a renaissance man. That's awesome. Thank you. I'm trying to be, it's, it's not something I've fallen into. I think we spend so much time in training and residency and medical school, just hitting the books, hitting the books. And, you know, I'm finally realizing that it is more out there. I play golf. I'm not very good at it, but I play golf now. Nice. And I think, you know, having that diversification of your interests just 
really just makes the week go by faster. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, get to spend more time with everyone. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So what's you your like five year, where do you see yourself in five years? Oh man. I feel like this is a job interview question. I know, tough interview question. I don't know, it came out of nowhere, but I'm just curious. <laughs> you if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? Oh, that's a good point. Well, you know, in five to six years, the field of medicine is going to be revolutionized with this AI technology. We're picking up so many different factors in regards to um, longevity, different disease states, predicting and predictions that I think it's just gonna revolutionize the way we practice. It'll never trump the physician, the provider, taking care and putting hands on. But I think it'll, especially from a population, help us fine tune where the problem swats are and really get to and hone in on those people that we can really help the most by hitting, by getting to them sooner. So I think I see myself, especially in that kind of an arena, some pop health, as well as making big systems changes, um, really going down that avenue and I've worked on projects in my fellowship using machine learning. So, and I really, really enjoy it. Um, it wasn't as successful as I hoped it would be, but that's just the learning process. And so, you know, we just kind of move on or come back to it later when I have more experience and kind of build upon that. But down the road, I definitely see AI being a part of my, my uh, career as well as maybe not just a complete proponent to it, but trying to incorporate it into our day-to-day. Oh, you'd be so good at that. Do you see, so, you know, when you say AI, I think there's still people that are just think of robots that are going to fight us. Do you see like some reasonable AI that you could like see coming to life in five years? Oh, definitely. I already, there's already AI out there now. It's just not in the healthcare space. Yeah. You know, I always think of it as how does Amazon know that I wanted these, you know, this two, three eighths inch pipe that I've been looking for. Like, how did they know this? But, you know, the, the information's all out there. It's just, you know, how can we use it to our betterment? And it's really that. It's really, can the computer do a better job of looking at a, mountains of data and making some, and predicting something from it? You know, it's not something that I anticipate will take over the world. And in healthcare, the beauty of it is it's not gonna take over our profession either. You know, patients are still gonna right. get sick and AI is not going to come to the bedside and nurse them or administer medicines yet. But will they deliver medicines? Possibly. Yeah. A robot that brings you that bag could save some man hours for somebody running up and down the halls. But mm-hmm. I don't ever see it taking over our profession. I just see it as a, augmenting it, making it easier and, and better to use. Even, nothing, even in, go ahead, sorry. Nothing will ever beat that like face-to-face communication, I think. Exactly. Yeah, I've seen technology using natural language processing, where you know we talk into this little dial and it predict it types everything up, right? Like when we use Siri, that's AI. Right. Yeah, I've seen you know things like uh, kind of programs that that will text you basically to triage you, Mm. right? So you can say like, I have a cough. Oh, and it says, I'm sorry about that. Tell me about your cough. And then it like picks out keywords and then it kind of goes through and tells you what to do. Like you should go to the ER, you should call your doctor, you should make an appointment with our urgent care or whatever. Mm-hmm. You feel like that's where patients will see the future of informatics and, and kind of IT moving is it's just going to be how they interact with them? Or, or what do you think patients experience is going to be in the next you know 10 years? 
you know, I think the patients are going to see more of a seamless transition. They're going to see it as less technology and more time with the doc. I mm. see, like, I love the idea of this triage service that we have and that is able to predict, you know, how, where, where patients should land. But at the same time, I have a difficult time sometimes thinking that this is an, isn't an actual person because sometimes right. it comes out so naturally. Like that question they ask is just the next thing that I was thinking of anyway of asking. So, you know, we can, we can make everything more seamless. I think that's the way, that's where patients are going to see the technology is it's going to be okay. Now I have this cough or right, cough into this microphone. Oh, we're going to, we think you should probably go to the emergency room or, Oh, you know, this sounds like it's, you know, croup, we're just going to give you a little bit of this and be, be fine. And then there's going to be a doc on the other end. Like, do you have questions? No. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. It makes sense oh. in the younger patient population. I mean, they're growing up a technology their whole life. Hmm. Like yeah. my younger siblings have probably never even called to order a pizza. It's always been on their phone. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. And when do the drones come. That? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, well, now Domino's has the cars that are driverless. When I see those commercials, I'm like, oh, my God, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> or at, at Arizona State, they have those little robots that drive around and you order food and the robot brings it to you, to your door. It's all what? at the dorms. Yeah, my brother did what well, he said. He wasn't even hungry, but he just wanted the experience. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the robot coming to his door. Dr. Brissell, so we just found your new hobby to build some robots. I'm, I'm, a, I'm all on board. Let me tell you, I'm all on board. <laughs> yeah. You need to wow. teach me because I still call on the phone for a pizza. Just really? so I want to talk to someone. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I'm like, hello, how are you? <laughs> we need to get you back into an office, Kaylee. I know. It's, <laughs> it's this work crazy. from home thing. When I work from home, I want to call the pizza guy and talk to him for five minutes. He's like, okay, yeah. I got to run. <laughs> like, I love you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's, that brings it back to the people piece, Dr. Patel. A mm -hmm. robot will never replace a human conversation. <laughs> Not at all. I totally agree. <laughs> Very good. All right, Dr. Patel, well, we have our last question for you. It is, what is either, it could be a patient story, it could be an informatics story, but what is um, just something that keeps you, keeps you moving forward, something that brings you joy, something that you keep in your back pocket and you say, this is why I do what I do. Can you think of something? Hmm. There's, there's always so many things and, you know, with the patient population we have, and it's just such a variety, but, you know, there they're golden moments in informatics, things that, you know, I see like people's brain just pop open and, and just kind of just, you see this like glint in their eyes. Like I finally get it. I finally can get through my day faster. And that recently happened. Um, well, maybe not recently, but in the, in the last couple of years, but there was a big push for communication. You know, we wanted to talk to our nurses. We want to talk to our respiratory techs. We want to talk to radiology techs you know, where's my patient in this? Where are we going to do about this? You know, and there's this communication piece and how can we do it securely? And there's a big rollout with this project where we're, we're implementing a patient, uh, sorry, a HIPAA compliant um, device where you can communicate with all of these different people in the hospital and understand the flow of where the patient's going to be and, you know, kind of work your way through it. And I see resistance in the sense of just, this is too much. We're having so much trouble. You know, I, I'm, 
I'm, able to, I'm not even able to get to the bathroom without someone messaging me and expecting me all the time. And, and, and you know, talking with these people and, you know, asking them, what are your challenges? What are your, what are your fears? What are your, what are your um, expectations from this? And really getting to the root of what the problem is really just brings my passion forward and kind of pushed me more into the informatics realm because it isn't a straightforward answer. You know, I think that having better communication with all the team members is paramount to improving patient safety, but it also reduced, you know, physician experience and increased burnout because you're expected to answer a page within seconds of getting it as opposed to, you know, being able to triage and figuring out what's the more important one and then working your way down. But it's a double-edged sword, you know, and if you can get to the root of the, the challenge with the provider, you can address their issue you can make their experience better. You know, it's just about readdress, re, re-imaging, rephrasing how, how we use and use technology. So I really see it as a challenge. I really see it as a success story. And I think it really improved patient safety and that really pushes me forward. Wow. I love it, Dr. Patel. Great. I think in the future too, I mean, there's no getting away from technology. It's just going to be more and more and more as, you know, as we talked about. So beautiful. Great. <laughs> I like feel like going in the field, asking them what worries you most? What are your fears? Yeah. It's so important to get that humanistic quality of it. Oh yeah. That's change management. Mm-hmm. For sure. Very That's cool. you, you totally of- read my book, my cotters. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Patel. You have such a multifaceted career and, and we're lucky to have spent some time with you and learned a little bit more about it. Thank you so much, you guys. And it's been a pleasure yeah. talking with you and everybody in the audience. Yeah, you're <laughs> such an interesting guy, Dr. Patel. We'll have you back soon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you so we much. Love to. Thank you. <laughs> thank Bye. you. clinical work. So we really appreciate him coming on. As always, thank you for listening. Please go wherever you get podcasts and uh, leave a review, leave comments, and we will see you next time. Bye.